You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. from El Paso, Texas, and you are listening to Jerry and Tracy on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Let's go punch someone in the face. Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet. All right, and welcome everybody to episode 45 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Thank you, Lily Ordonez, for the uh, nice little show intro and uh, what she terms a Tracyism. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was amazing. I really loved that. That was awesome. Thank you for doing that. She actually suggested that we take your little Tracyisms, as she calls them, and put them on t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be cool. I could go with that. You know, I actually, we did the show last week, and somehow or another, I don't know how, but I did not mention this. But last Saturday, our little show, thanks to you guys, was the actual number one ranked paranormal show on iTunes. How crazy is that? How crazy is the fact that I forgot all about it? It's that only, is crazy. It's only the biggest biggest accomplishment we've had for the whole show. And you I forget guys rock. Thank you so much. Yeah, last week was a huge week for the show. We did 10,000 downloads in a week for the first time. We did a record number of listens for the show uh, that was just released uh, with the girls from And That's Why We Drink. So very happy for them. Yes. I'm, I'm sure they helped a little bit. Had the uh, the show with um, Campfires, was on Jim Harold's Campfire. That helped us out tremendously. And uh, at the end of this show, I've actually got an interview with Jim Harold that he was so gracious to give me. So, yeah, last week was phenomenal, and this week is already shaping up to be a better week, and we owe a lot of gratitude to you guys. We owe all the gratitude to you guys because so, you keep us going, and um, we really appreciate you guys. Um I mean, I don't know. I just, every week I just get so, and I don't even want to, well, I guess I can say emotional because I just feel like it's just so awesome that you guys really enjoy the show and it just really makes us feel great about it. And we just can't wait to get to the next show. You guys will be listening to this on Father's Day when it comes out, um, or at least that's when it comes out. You might listen to it on Wednesday, but yeah. either way, happy Father's Day yeah. to all the fathers out there listening. Happy Father's Day. I love my daddy. Happy Father's Day to all the single mothers out there that Absolutely. have to play fathers. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, we want to give the big shout out to all of our military and civil servants all over the world. Thank you guys so much for uh, keeping us safe and letting us be able to do podcasts and stuff like that. Absolutely. In this crazy world that we're living in right now, we really appreciate you guys and uh, God bless you. Uh, real quick, uh, just a, a shout out for our Patreon uh, people. Robert Burton is our only actually new one that, that has subscribed in the past Thank week. Thank you, Robert. We did release the uh, the true crime slash paranormal bonus episode, which we got pretty awesome uh, feedback on. So I'm glad you guys actually liked that. Yeah, that was fun. If you do, you know, want to pick up on these extra episodes, it's just a matter of signing up for Patreon. It's uh, I think it's five dollars a month for that one, and you get two extra episodes. So uh, that's how you can do that. Real quick, some we had a boatload of iTunes reviews, more iTunes reviews than we've ever had in a week. Uh, so we'll just breeze through them. Freezer guy. Uh, we had BD Chess, which is actually a, a fellow Kentuckian. Thank you, sir. Jennifer DeWald, D.H. Taylor, Rework Rob, Amby, Lynn Smith, OSU Girl, Rye Guy, 
Uh, Nerds with Words. That's actually another podcast I just started listening to. Them guys are pretty awesome. I give them a listen to, but they were nice enough to tell us they were fans of the show. And yeah, write us I like nice that review. name. Uh, Von Lutz and Ice Fox Me. I don't know if that's am I like in Michigan or, mm-hmm. but thank you guys so much for the iTunes reviews. As we've said a thousand times before, uh, that really helps us. It helps people find us and uh, things like that contribute to our record week that we. Yeah, have. we really appreciate it. Thank you. So what we're going to do is, you know, we've done some um, real stories behind the movies in the past, and we're actually going to do the same thing tonight. One of the stories we're going to do, we've got two. One is actually the true story, not the complete true story, because some of it was real, some of it wasn't, behind what I think is the stupidest name uh, horror movie of all time. Is that a word? Stupidest? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about more stupid? Either Does way. that even make sense? I don't know. Okay. Sorry. It's all the same. Either way, it's dumb. the movie is called A Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghost of Georgia. What the hell are you going to name it? A Haunting in Connecticut 2, and it has nothing to do with Connecticut. Oh, I, that, oh, I don't know. Well, they were trying to play off Haunting in Connecticut was so big, I guess they're trying to play off the name. Oh. But it really... Well, that don't make no but sense. Then it, so it's A Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. I don't know why it just wasn't Haunting in Georgia. Regardless. Well, they must have just been feeling freaky that day or something. But that story, most of that story uh, involves the Wyrick family, and we're going to tell you that story. So if you've seen the movie, you'll you'll know some of what we're talking about. Uh, if not, it's still a pretty damn cool story. Mm-hmm. The second story we're going to talk about happens in the same town. This is a little town outside of Columbus, Georgia. It's called uh, Ellerslie, Georgia. But there's two kind of remarkable incidents that happened uh, that kind of maybe have a paranormal time, maybe not. And we're going to tell you about both of those. And then, like I said, we're going to end the show with uh, my interview with Jim Harold. If you've ever listened to Jim Harold, you know he's kind of, um, how can I say this politely? He's a very nice guy. But he doesn't really let it all hang out too mm-hmm, much on mm-hmm. his shows. He's very professional and very yeah. very news-like, we'll say. Yeah, that's and, great. And uh, I got him to open up a little bit and laugh and joke. And uh, I, think, I think you'll enjoy the uh, the interview we did with him. Very so cool. pay attention to that. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Ghosts of Georgia is what I've titled this one, mainly because that's what the movie was called. This takes place in 1989, Ellerslie, Georgia. Uh, it's Lisa... And Andrew Wyrick, they actually move into this house uh, with their three-year-old daughter, Heidi. Mm-hmm. Now, not too long after they move in, Heidi starts claiming that she starts seeing this older man named Mr. Gordy. Now, Mr. Gordy, according to Heidi, he wore a suit, a tie, he had great hair, uh, gray hair, and shiny black shoes. Of course, this is coming from a three-year-old. Heidi would be often seen like in the backyard when her mom would be looking out the window as if she was talking to somebody but she would also kind of like have be walking along with like her hand semi in the air as if she was like holding his hand like she's holding somebody's hand but obviously you couldn't see anybody and when her mom would hear her talking to people or whoever Mm -hmm. there was never any response back so the the obvious assumption was she had an imaginary friend yeah and we've discussed this before my opinion and that's all this is my opinion I personally think any kids that have imaginary friends, I think they're talking to spirits. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, um, so when it comes to this this Mr. Gordy, she said that, and this is in later years, this wasn't when she was three, but she said Mr. Gordy actually helped her learn how to ride a bike, and he would push her on the swing. So these wow. are these were some of the occurrences that she had with Mr. Gordy. Well, good for that. That he was fun. Right. At one point, as it got a little later in, Mr. Gordy actually told her that there was money buried in the backyard that had been there for a very long time. Oh. And they actually did go out to a point in the yard and they they dug up and found like an old uh, cloth bag full of coins. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I don't know if it's dollar coins or gold yeah. coins or whatever, but that actually was back there. Now. Well, wait then. So I guess the parents had to believe her then. I mean, right? Or well, how old was she at that time? Well, that kind of happened a little after the fact, mm-hmm. but, but there was something that sparked their belief in her. Lisa's sister actually moved into the house right next door to him. And they started having these, you know, occurrences more and more with Mr. Gordy, which they still didn't really worry about. But then something happened that kind of put a panic into the family. 
There was a knock at the door. Heidi went and answered the door. There was a man standing there. He had white hair. He had a white T-shirt on. His shirt was covered in blood. And he, one of his hands was, was bandaged up, and it was bleeding. Oh, dang. So after she told her parents about that, uh, they obviously felt like she was trying to be abducted. You know, why else would somebody be at the door like that? So they they go scourging around the neighborhood, right? And they're they're trying to find out. You know, they're asking everybody. They're giving the description of this guy. Now, this guy, when he came to Heidi, he told her his name was Khan. And so that's what she told him. So they're going around looking for Khan. Now, they, they assume that this Mr. Gordy she's always talking about and this Khan are the same person. Mm-hmm. So they're asking all around the neighborhood, is there a Khan Gordy? To which they're finding absolutely nothing. But like I said, her sister moves in next door. And when they mention this Gordy, she says, well, she could check with the people who used to own the house. Yeah. Which was Catherine Ledford, because she had lived there for apparently a long time. Her family Mm -hmm. owned it for a long time, so maybe she would know. Well, it was then, after talking to Miss Ledford, that she showed them the deed from where she got the house. And she had bought it from a James Gordy. Oh, interesting. Now, she knew James Gordy. She didn't have any pictures of him or mm-hmm. anything. But she did confirm that he was a big real estate broker. He owned a bunch of uh, real estate uh, mm-hmm. in, in Columbus and in the, in the whole area. He owned a lot of that area where they lived right now at one point. And that he also was a Sunday school teacher at the, the church right up the road. And the funny thing about it is the description that Heidi had given of him, of the suit and the tie and the, and the black shiny and the white hair, and all that, that fit perfectly oh. to what she remembered mm-hmm. him as, as being a kid. Probably the most important thing to take out of everything that she told them was that Mr. Gordy died in 1974. So then... She said, and, and and she pulled out some family photos that she had of, you know, Catherine Ledford's family. And they spread them out and let Heidi look through them. Well, when Heidi got through looking through them, she picked one out and she said, that's Con. Oh, get out. And to which Miss Ledford said that was her uncle. Mm-hmm. But his name wasn't Con. Sorry, my voice cracked. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're going through puberty. Right. But she said that his name wasn't Con; it was actually Lon, Lon Bachelor. Oh, so it just she just heard it wrong then. Yeah, she heard it wrong. And apparently Lon Bachelor, he actually died in 1957 of cancer. But when he was about 20 years old, he had an accident where his hand was basically mangled or cut off in a cotton gin accident. Oh, my gosh. So that was him that came to the door. That then. was him that came to the door. Mm. Now, over the next four years... She continued to see Mr. Gordy and Con, mm-hmm. but they were pretty much harmless. It was no big deal. Good. The problem was in 1993, Lisa became pregnant, her mom. And it was then that something evil kind of showed up. Now, Heidi was watching TV one day while her mom, Lisa, was out in the garden doing something, and she hears Heidi scream. She comes in there, and, and Heidi, who she never gets scared of anything. She's used to seeing these things now, and it's just... You know, none of these things ever scared her. But she saw a black shadow figure in the hallway, and it terrified her. Oh, it would. Me, too. Right. And Lisa and Andrew, the dad, he they just kind of sat and discussed, you know, possibly moving. But then they were like, if she's seeing all these things, it doesn't matter where you're going to move to. It's not the house. It's She's just seeing these figures, and it doesn't matter where she goes. So they decided to stay there. Well... In February 1994, February 3rd, matter of fact, Heidi's little baby sister, Jordan, was born. About two weeks later, Heidi wakes up one morning. She's got these deep, like, scratches-type uh, gashes going down her face. And the dad and mom, they just kind of figured that, you know, she's probably scratched herself while she was sleeping or something like that. So they didn't really think a whole lot of it. Okay, that just sounds dumb. Well, people, kids, babies and kids and stuff scratch their face all the time. Yeah, but is that, is that noticeable? That well, it's, like, really bad? Did we well, should... it, it became a, a lot more noticeable oh. after the fact because then what happened is, is Andrew then started having some situations. Like, two nights later, he woke up and he had these three claw marks right down his side. Oh, 
And then, you know, he he believed it was whatever entity that she had seen in the hallway. That's what he thought had happened. So then the next night he wakes up and he's got claw marks down his back. And then it happened again the next night with claw marks down his chest. But it ended up being four nights in a row. Can you imagine? No. I wonder why they didn't feel it while they were asleep, though. Why do you? I wonder why well, that not, is. I'm sure that they don't mean he wake woke up in the morning. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they meant when he woke up because it woke him up. Oh well, well, I guess that makes sense. Okay. So the Wyricks called up this uh, pretty pretty well known parapsychologist, Doctor William Rowe, to investigate the situation. And here's what he said. He said she came up with physical descriptions and names that she could not have obtained any other way. So. That made him interested in the case. Now, what he did was contacted Mr. Gordy's daughter, and he got some pictures. He mixed them in with some pictures of his own family. Mm -hmm. And he brings them out, and he spreads them out. She picked out Mr. Gordy and said, hey, that's him. That's Mr. Gordy right there. Keep in mind, this is twice that she's done that now because she did the same thing with Con. Yeah. Now, Heidi, over the years, she saw... Several different spirits. She used to see uh, Native Americans walking around in the street. And then come to find out this actually was an area that was, you know, a lot of uh, Native American burial grounds and stuff like that from the Creek Indians Mm -hmm. back in the day. And we'll get into them more on our second story. But so, you know, there was a a chance of seeing that. No, let's go back a little bit to the movie. The movie actually shows... A lot of these things, it shows them finding the money, it shows Mr. Gordy, it shows Khan, uh, and all these things happening. But then it kind of ends with um, some kind of a, a deal with the Underground Railroad with slaves uh, disappearing and, and on the property, and I guess a, a slave owner actually killing them and mistreating them and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not actually part of the, that was part of the movie, but that's not part of what actually happened that the story was based on. So mm-hmm. I don't know where they got that part of it from. But just to to make that clear. But she said she saw a bunch of different people and visions through through the house. She saw a little girl that she said reminded her of one of the little girls off Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. And then she saw the Indian. She even saw animals. So it's pretty cool. Now, Heidi, she's all grown up. She's like 24 years old. She's in the, the medical profession. And she's got a family all of her own. And she really doesn't live that far away. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, her dad died in 2012, and he was only 45 years old. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, do, you, do we know why he died? No. Oh, that's so sad. I'm assuming his heart stopped. That's how well, probably, why most people die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have any answers on that yeah. one. Well, that's sad. That's so young. Yeah, that's actually is pretty sad. But that's... Kind of a cool story for a little yeah. girl. Now, she said she hasn't seen Mr. Gordy in years. She still sees says she sees so many spirits now that she it doesn't even bother her. She even sees the dark entity um, all the time, but she said she just don't let it bother her. And she said it's funny because she can tell if a spirit is evil, mm-hmm. if it's you know benevolent. And but she said, but you'd be surprised how you feel when you come across something that's evil. She said it just it can physically just make you sick to your stomach. I was gonna say, so the the, the dark entity doesn't do anything to her. Apparently or? not. She just you know she said she just, just ignores chills with yeah. the rest of them. I guess. All right, I got a little bit of a, um, a twist for you guys today because it is Father's Day. I thought I would bring my youngest son Alex in to do a story with me instead of Tracy on this one. And he's kind of a music freak, as am I. So I thought it would be cool to do a little Chris Cornell story that there's uh, some talk out there that his suicide could very well be part of the Illuminati. And I thought it would be kind of a you know cool story to bounce around. Not saying that I 100% believe in this uh, by any means, but it's still a pretty cool story to talk about on this show. So, uh, Alex, I'm glad to have you here today. Are you ready to get into some conversation about Chris Cornell? Yeah, let's get started. All right. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, the first and foremost, there's a lot of numerologists out there, and I'm not into the numerology thing. I don't really even know how it works. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's like you take this letter and this word, and you add it up, and it's this number of letters and uh, this number of uh, um, equals that. Like I said, I, I don't understand how it works. I'm not even going to pretend. But the last show that Chris Cornell did was at the Fox Theater in Detroit, and Fox, according to numerologists, is 666. So there's the first thing that came out. Uh, they said that they thought it was very suspicious that the suicide was already listed less than six hours after it happened, where normally there would be an investigation. 
Um, so they're saying that when I say they're, I'm talking about these Illuminati conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theorists that he was a more or less a ritual sacrifice from the Illuminati's. I mean, are you into the Illuminati's at all? Do you do you believe in anything to do with the Illuminati's? I mean, there are some things that make sense about it, but there's a lot of things that just it seems like people are just looking for connections that aren't there. I mean, are you in general not necessarily considering you know concerning his death? Do you believe in that there is an Illuminati? Do you believe in like these uh, the Freemasons and Satan worshippers and all these secret societies? Do you believe that there's ulterior motives? I would like to believe it, but I just I just don't see it. Okay, well, good. That should make for a fun conversation. So, like I said, some people believe that these people that are high up in the music and uh, celebrities and and, uh, some of these bigger-name people, they all are tied in with the Illuminati. They've sold their soul to the devil. They're a member of the secret societies. And then when these things happen, it's basically pawned off as a suicide or a drug overdose or something because they think that most people then will lead uh lean a little more towards the feeling sorry for the person instead of jumping into asking questions about well why did this happen that doesn't make sense how about this what about this timeline and that's kind of what's going on here and like you said people kind of look for links as to how to how to tie it together one of the links they said that his very last song that he performed at in, uh, detroit that night was a led zeppelin cover song in my time of dying and what they thought was funny about this was it's an encore and normally when you come out and do your last song as an encore you usually do one of your most popular songs so somebody would expect them to do something like spoon man or black hole sun or something like that but instead he did a led zeppelin cover song that's not really even one of led zeppelin's biggest songs and in that song some of the lyrics uh, say in my time of dying i don't uh, want no one to mourn all i want is for you to take my body home What's your thoughts on that? I know you said you've seen concerts before where they don't do a very big song as the the last song. Yeah, I mean, from my my opinion, they get bored playing their own songs. If you go out and you just play hit after hit after hit, and then you go out and do the encore, and it's going to be another hit. I think it's hard to pretend to still have that same enthusiasm as you did years ago when you first made the song. So I think a lot of the times, if you're going to come out and do a song, you're going to do one that's more close to you by that point, something that you can still have emotion about. I think probably the grunge bands were really kind of into that anyway. I saw Alice in Chains open up for Kiss when they really first came out. And their hit song, obviously, was Man in the Box. And it it hadn't been out for very long, maybe a couple of months. And when they came out and performed it, I, I can remember uh, uh, Staley just coming out and, and saying... Uh, oh, it's our. Uh, we now we have to do the obligatory hit, and it's almost like they dreaded doing the song, and it was right. still brand new to them, and the only hit that they had. Right. So I guess I can kind of see where that's coming from. They also pointing to to music. The last song that they say that he ever wrote um, was the promise, and the whole thing about the promise is said uh, the promise I made, no matter the price, uh, basically promise needs to be kept and they start pointing to that showing links to uh, secret societies and making promises as we've discussed on this show with uh like the freemasons and stuff you get in and it's like once you're in you're in for life Uh, do you do you know anything about secret societies or uh i mean the freemasons do you have any opinion at all on on these things especially you know the big one probably scientology that's probably the biggest one out that people kind of link in the same category the only thing I know about any of the, the Illuminati or the Freemasons or any of that stuff is just from what I've listened to on the show. So I don't really dive too deep into it. I think a lot of it's just BS. So you probably have heard nothing then since you rarely listen to the show. I've listened up enough to get to the Freemasons. <laughs> okay, so we talk about the ritual killings uh, um, in these Illuminatis. This is where everybody talks about this. Whenever somebody dies, all these things always happen in threes. And that's what the these conspiracy theorist on the illuminati they always bring up that these things always happen in threes and that's the reason um and i don't remember his name but the head of fox the former head of fox actually died the exact same day as chris cornell but they point out you know you had david bowie and and um uh, the doris roberts from everybody loves raymond and uh somebody else i think it was carrie fisher all mm-hmm. die roughly at the same time. And you had Prince and all the other ones that, that these big people, and they, you know, like I said, Robin Williams and all them, 
they're all supposedly Illuminati offerings, so to speak. But, you know, when you start talking about uh, uh, somebody like Chris Cornell, they said that the, the first thing they want to do is start the cover up. So all of a sudden the guy, and it was, it was very suspicious on how he died anyway, because supposedly they said they, he hung himself, but they found his body on the floor of the bathroom. So the immediately just sounds funny to begin with. If you hang yourself, how are you on the floor? Yeah, and that was that was something that got me too. And I, as soon as I saw that report come out, I started looking into this every day, seeing what new information because that didn't make sense that they could just immediately come out with that information. I read an article probably the very next day explaining a little bit more in depth, saying that the police were about to start an investigation on it, but it was already ruled a suicide. Yeah, so that's so. and that's where the conspiracy theorists come in. They're like, you know, how can they automatically rule this as a suicide because, uh, you know. It, it could be very easy for somebody to kill somebody and make it look like a suicide. And it would at least take some kind of effort to determine between the two. And then, you know, like they said, they, that, well, they automatically start putting this out almost like it's propaganda to get people off of the track that it could be some kind of a hit or some kind of a, um, you know, an Illuminati sacrifice. And then they said that it was kind of like, you know, when you start looking at the other stuff, everything kind of contradicted him committing suicide. Supposedly he was clean and sober. Uh, his wife had came out and said that they were already planning this trip for Memorial Day and had all this worked out, which was only, you know, two weeks later. You know, why would somebody be planning a trip and be talking about it just a, a day or two before if you were going to kill yourself? How do you go from a concert when you're out there with all these people cheering and everything and you go back to your hotel and within a couple of hours you kill yourself? I mean, you know, of course, there's also the uh, somebody's tossed out that it could be the uh, what autoerotic asphyxiation. Uh, that's what David Carradine died from, the guy who was in Kung Fu. And for those of you who don't know, that's where supposedly you kind of choke yourself a little bit with a belt or something while you, you know, uh, masturbate. And it's supposed to just give you like the ultimate orgasm or whatever the deal is. And some people are saying that may be what happened because correct me if I'm wrong, but supposedly he used like a piece of exercise tubing, uh, one of those stretch bands and he tied a knot in it and he put it, uh, through the door, closed the door and, and he used that to tie around his neck. So, I mean, I mean, maybe that would kind of make sense that something more, I would believe that happened more than I would a suicide, that it would be an accidental death. Well, it's, it's hard for me to say, cause I've looked at, all of the articles as they've been coming out trying to figure it all out and like we were saying at first it really didn't make sense the way they were going into it but the more you listen to his wife's statements and he being recovered and sober supposedly but he still struggles with pills and from what i had heard he was supposed to be getting them handed to him from his bodyguard but i'd also read something where he said he'd taken too many of them that night telling his wife that he was just tired that day he just didn't feel right and then it wasn't like 30 minutes later, they had their security guard go check on him, and that's when they found him. Yeah, because supposedly he was taking that anti-anxiety medicine, whatever it was, and he said that I heard the same thing, that he had told her that he had taken uh, a couple of them. Um, so uh, maybe he was just feeling super anxious or something like that. Uh, one of the other things that people point out is they, they're always talking about the signs that people gave. We talked about the uh, uh, ninja gets so excited when we start talking about the Illuminati, so... But they were talking about, you know, giving the devil horns and, and all those different signs of the Illuminati. And we had a situation to where with him, he had one of his album covers, uh, which was the uh, the Higher Truth, oddly enough. And it's got basically a picture of like a pyramid and the all-seeing eye on top. Now, it's not as, as cut and dry like the pyramid and the all-seeing eye on the back of the dollar bill. But it is the same kind of symbol, symbolology, if that's even a word that we're used to seeing, uh, you know, from the old Aleister Crowley days on a lot of these different album covers and uh, and just some of the garments and stuff some of these uh, performers wear on stage. So, you know, what do you think, Alex, about the whole uh, the thing with the the symbolism? And uh, I know you've talked about that they showed some pictures and stuff of him supposedly with some symbols. But what was your take on that? I mean, those those things, like I said, I think they're just looking for a stretch in it. If you're playing guitar on stage or at home, wherever you're playing guitar, you always know that you're holding the pick between your index finger and your thumb. You've only got really two things you can do with your fingers at that point. You can either squeeze them together and risk hitting the, the strings with your fingers, or you can hold them out where you've got a little bit more space in between the strings in your hands. So 
I think, like I said, I think they're just looking for a little bit of a stretch on it. And what you're talking about there, obviously, is them showing the when you do the the zero and the three fingers out. That's the symbolism of the six six six, right? And that's what they were talking about. You know, showing pictures of him doing that. But like you said, if you're holding the guitar pick between those your your thumb and index finger, you know, you either got to make that sign or you got to you know clench your fist, and really not going to make much of a point. So, with that being said, were you a Chris Cornell fan? Oh, I was a huge Chris Cornell fan. So, do you like the uh, the the older stuff with Soundgarden, or do you like Audio Slave more, or you just kind of like the whole catalog? Uh, I was definitely more into Soundgarden, but I mean, it took me a little while to actually start listening to Audio Slave, and then I started actually getting into more recently his just his single stuff, just Chris Cornell. So, but Audio Slave is more secondary. I, I thought his Chris Cornell stuff got a little bit softer, it was a little bit more out of my range. Um, Soundgarden was definitely my biggest side of him. Do you not like the acoustic stuff? I don't have a problem with it, but it, it just seemed like it wasn't as well written to me. Okay, fair enough. All right, guys, we uh, wanted to thank you. And like I said, we'll get back to our regular programming, which you're used to. But I thought it'd be cool to do this. And with him being a huge music fan, I thought it'd be the perfect story to do. That was really cool to do. But before we get into our third story of the night, I wanted to remind people uh, that they can go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. That's where you can get your T-shirts. And we've been selling a lot of them. Thank you guys so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, if you've got a T-shirt and you haven't sent us a picture yet, send us a picture and we'll throw it up on the website and show everybody what you look like in your fancy new duds. Yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to see you. Uh, also, Patreon. I'll just breeze through this one more time. Uh, you got several different levels. If you want to support the show financially over the course of uh, monthly donations, they take it out on the first of every month. They have uh, four levels on ours, a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, and ten dollars. And uh, the three dollar one gets you a bonus episode every month, and it also gets you a chance to win a free t-shirt. Everybody gets a chance to win a free t-shirt every month, even the dollar, um, any level. And the five dollars, you actually get uh, a ten percent discount on any t-shirts. You also get Two bonus episodes. You get the, our first one, which is the listeners' stories episode. That's the one that's released on the first. And on the 15th, we do pretty much a regular show. Like this past week, we did um, a true crime story. We did a paranormal story. And then we had one that was kind of a true crime slash paranormal mixed together with the Wabasha Street Caves. And like I said, a lot of people really liked it. So the people who got to hear it, um, they, they said they definitely wanted to hear more of it. So uh, I wish we actually could have released that as a regular show because I felt like it was so good that I want everybody to be able to hear it. But, you know, if, if these guys are supporting us financially, they deserve as good as we can possibly put out. And that's what we did. So we're glad that they actually appreciated what we did for them. Yes, very happy. Let's get into this next story because I think this is super fascinating. And I wish I had a lot more information on it, but there's really not a lot of information out there. This is the story of Christopher Tompkins. He was a 20-year-old man. This happened January 25th of 2002. He left his house by 8.10 in the morning. Uh, He was one of four surveyors that were actually on location right outside of Highway 85 in uh, Ellerslie, Georgia. This is kind of like a little small wooded area. And that's going to come into play a little bit as we uh, get a little further into the story. But three of the co-workers and Christopher were were working. They were all like 50 feet apart from each other. So that's not very far. Now, they were constantly in communication. And Christopher was was the last one in line of the four people. And he was communicating with his co-worker that was right in front of him for a long period of time. And then uh, the co-worker really hadn't heard anything from him for a little bit. So he turns around and looks. And there was no, nobody back there. So then about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, this co-worker calls his wife, and he says, you know, he's just telling him. He's like, you know, I, we had this, the guy that was working with me, he just disappeared. And he was nowhere to be found. And, and um, after that, you know, the parents obviously were informed that, hey, your son just disappeared off the work site. And she called police to file a missing persons report, and they won't allow you to file a missing persons report for 24 hours. So she decides that her and her family are going to put their own little search party together. Mm-hmm. And they go out there and they start looking around. What they found was was at a nearby fence, they found one of Christopher's boots, some of his tools, 12 cents on the ground, change, and some of his fabric from his blue pants were on the barbed wire fence. Now, they eventually found his other boot about 900 yards away, and that was found by the guy that owns the property, but that was a couple of months later. 
Oh, wow. The evidence points towards Christopher being grabbed and lifted out of his boots with an incredible force. Drug approximately 900 feet for that other boot to be there. It's like in order for the, the tools and everything to be there, right there in the spot, it's almost like something just snatched and just yanked him right out of his shoes and then drug him straight through the barbed wire fence, which would have caused the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pants to rip. The pants to be on it. Yeah. That's so crazy. Now, the question is. What or who is capable of lifting a 130-pound man completely out of his boots and dragging him 900 yards? There was no foul play, according to police who did the investigation. They didn't suspect any anyway, and and most assumed that he just walked off the job. But he's never been heard from since then. Just that fast he was gone. Just that fast he was gone and never heard from again. Some people say that a possible answer could be some folklore from the area. Like I was saying in the previous story, this area has several Indian barrier grounds. There's bones that are found on a regular basis. And the Creek Indians who lived there for hundreds of years were kind of duped out of their land by land surveyors. Mm -hmm. Years and years ago, land surveyors kind of illegally obtained the land from the Creek Indians. They uh, kind of purposely moved in some white people and then kind of started a little conflict between them, hoping that the white people would just basically kill off or capture the the uh, Creek Indians and then get rid of them, and then the land would be theirs. A lot like uh, like the whole premise behind uh, Blazing Saddles, <laughs> when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Only this time there just wasn't a black sheriff. But same premise. Some people think that they're really into this. There's a thing called Wendigos. Now, Wendigo is an evil spirit or a monster that's a cannibal, according to um, Indian folklore. The problem is where this happened at in Georgia, it's not really a story down there. It's because this is more of an Algonquin story that's more up towards Canada and the Great Lakes area. So it really doesn't make sense. But from a standpoint of what the Wendigo legend is, of how they would just grab and eat people and take off, and they were supposed to be these huge monsters uh, or spirits, then it kind of made sense. Yeah, but that's kind of rude. <laughs> the The funny thing is, um, you know, there's some things that could kind of tie into this that really doesn't get talked about, or doesn't, isn't, that's bad English. It's really don't get talked about. I'm correcting mm-hmm. myself on this one. But think about this. There's been several missing persons reports, a lot of them around wooded areas or the national park system. There's a bunch of stuff out there. You can check out a site called uh, uh, Missing 411, and they'd actually do a whole documentation on these things. But there's several people reported missing that do actually turn back up. In every case of these ones that turn back up, they're missing their shoes, and they're usually in some kind of bright clothing. Really bright clothing. Now, think about it. This guy was a land surveyor, right? Yep. What do typical like land surveyors typically wear? Well, bright clothes so you can see them on the road. Yeah, they typically would have a bright orange vest. Yeah. And when the, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation actually listed what he was wearing, they didn't list an orange vest, which doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, did he not have it on? Was he not wearing it that day? Did he have it on? They just didn't list it. But... These guys should have been suited with these orange vests, which would have made him kind of fit into some of these other categories of people that were missing and came back that didn't have their shoes Mm -hmm. and were wearing bright colors. Matter of fact, there's a guy named Alan Lammer. He wrote uh, in a recent article about in the jungles of Indonesia, the locals actually warn about abductions in the uh, jungle if you wear bright colors like yellow. And some of these people are returned, and they have absolutely no memory of what happened. Wow. So, how cool is that? That's very cool. So, that is actually our stories on Christopher Tompkins and the Wyrick family. So, a little bit of Georgia knowledge going on there. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's so interesting that, that the one family with the girl that grew up with all that, you know, what was she, 24 so I wonder if that's going to follow her the rest of her life, do you think? Well, I mean, if she's still got it. I mean, she's been seeing things since she was three years old. I don't see why it wouldn't. I wonder how she makes herself, though, not be scared of that. I mean, I mean, if some of them are nice, I get it. But 
still that I think the evil thing would kind of make me kind of hesitant because maybe you never know when he's going to turn or I mean, do something. I would assume that you just get used to things just yeah. like anything else. Yeah. I mean, how do morticians become morticians? I That's mean, true. That's most so people true. are creeped out by dead bodies, but yeah. yet they see them so much, you know. Yeah. And look at doctors. Mm-hmm. There's so many doctors that have so bad med- bedside manners. They are, yeah. And it's just because they. it's like they have no... Sympathy or empathy yeah, for the that's, family. That's I mean, not good, though. They can walk right into somebody who just lost a loved one. Oh, I'm sorry, your husband expired. No. It's like so cold. And it's just yeah. like, but they see that's it so. Shame, they though. see it so much. It's probably it just becomes second nature to them. So yeah. I would think it would be the same way with that. Yeah, but that's not good though. To just be so nonchalant about stuff, especially like that. But it's like you said, you've seen one Vijay, you've seen them all. Yep, that's like uh, Ninja. I mean, I can't tell you how many mornings I wake up with him licking behind my ear. Mm-hmm. Now, at first, it freaked me out, but now it's like, yeah. hey, now I don't have to wash behind my ear. That's right. <laughs> Win-win. Guys, we appreciate it. That's, uh, that's all we got for you this week. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but it's Father's Day weekend, and we've had a thousand things going on, uh, putting out the bonus episode and everything like we did. Uh, also have some really cool stuff going on. Uh, next week, we're going to have an interview with a Miss Katie Stewart. She's an actress and a, and a good friend of mine and Tracy's, and she's going to actually on uh, got a couple of movies that are just coming out, and she's actually working on one. So I'm going to catch her as soon as she gets through with that one and uh, find out a little bit of details about that. And then next week's episode is going to be a really cool episode because it's going to be on the legend of Bogey Creek. And I'm not the biggest Bigfoot fan or uh, it's one of those things that just doesn't really interest me a whole lot. But this story has always been fascinating because it was really the the movie uh, of the same name is, is what really kicked off the Bigfoot fascination in America. Now, that's you know, went into everything else. And us living in Kentucky, there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings actually here in Kentucky. So we get a lot of people asking, are we going to do something on Bigfoot? And it's funny because I set this up to do this probably three weeks ago. And I've actually had one of our listeners actually write us and say, hey, have we ever thought about doing one on The Legend of Bogey Creek? And I was like, well, you're in luck because it's next week. So oh, that worked out great. But uh, we appreciate it. And like I said, keep sending us suggestions because we're, we're willing to look into it. I had somebody actually send me something about Motley Crue. And uh, that's something I'm going to research. I had I had a, a listener send us something about Michael Jackson's album covers. And at first, I kind of dismissed it. But he really puts a bunch of facts and pictures and stuff like that on there that made me think, man, this is there's more to this than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to dig into that. So I think that sounds like we may have a rock and roll in the cult show coming up sometime soon, if I can put a few more together. So. Sounds great. Oh, we've got a contest. I forgot. we got one more contest to do. And this is for Hillbilly Horror Show. I've got one more DVD to give away. So what I want to do for this one is... I want to go back to episode 35, which was the Lizzie Borden episode. We had a very special guest on that show who talked about uh, their time at the Lizzie Borden house doing an investigation. Who was that special guest? And the first one who posts on our Facebook wall or on Twitter that that answer will be the one who wins it. So instead of just putting it out on Facebook... Whoever hears it here first and just post it, you'll win the uh, the prize. And I'll get in touch with you, and we'll get it out to you. Thank you guys so much for such an awesome, awesome week. Some of you have even sent us stuff in the mail, and we greatly appreciate that. DJ Prowler, um, Tessa, we would love you so much, and we run your radio show. And we thank you so much for actually making us some pretty cool keychains and writing us a handwritten note and sending it to us. So thank you so much for yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. That's really cool. I love mine. Stay tuned for the Jim Harold interview, and we will see you guys next week. All right, and I, I want to tell you guys right off the bat, we've got a special guest. I, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, being a paranormal podcaster, there's a certain few people that you definitely look up to, and at the pinnacle of that list is Jim Harold. I had the pleasure of being on Jim's show a couple of weeks ago. It was the highlight of... Uh, you know, my actual time in doing this. And, uh, you know, I can't thank him enough. So without any further ado, I'd like to bring on the man, the legend, Jim Harold. Jim, how are you doing today? I am doing well and certainly not a legend, but I <laughs> I absolutely appreciate the sentiment and uh, uh, glad to be on your show. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit with you and your listeners. Well, I'll tell you what, Jim, I'm not one to typically... 
uh, disagree or argue with my guests. But I would say being a a best-selling supernatural author on on Kindle and being in the top 2% of all downloads with 27 million downloads – I think that puts you in legend category. Well, I won't argue with you, but that, that's very kind. <laughs> okay, so what I want to do here is is I think what's very cool about you and what sets you apart, you got into this podcast game early, early in the game. I mean, you've been doing this for over 10 years, and, and I, th- I saw a stat recently that said only about 40% of Americans have actually listened to a podcast. I can't mm-hmm. imagine what that number was 10 years ago. Yeah, it was like 4%. It was very... You you know, I, I remember when I first started, I started in 2005, and I really honestly started as a hobby. I never thought it was going to turn out to be my my full-time job, which it's been for about five years now. But uh, I started as a hobby, and I would tell people, and they'd look at me a little funny, uh, partially because of the topic, uh, subject matter, and then partially, like, what in the world is a podcast? And, and they kind of, uh, I think a lot of people poo-pooed it. You know, people you work with, maybe friends, it's like, ah, uh, it's a phase, you'll get over it. Uh, you know, this uh, nobody will pay attention, nothing will ever come of it. I mean, I hate to be so negative, but that was kind of the way I felt when I presented it to people in my 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 life. The only the only people that really I felt were supportive were my wife and kids. And uh, you know, there was this time when they said podcasting was dead. I don't know if you remember that, but I think 2005, 2006, it was all the rage, and then it didn't immediately explode because it was much harder to listen back then. Oh, you yeah, had yeah. to plug up a iPod or MP3 player, sync. It was really a pain. So that people, you know, there are people who started listening to me in 2005 who still listen to this day. And I got to tell you, I am ever so grateful to those people because they really kind of made it possible building an audience early on. And uh, they've been with me the whole time, and I really appreciate it. When I think you host approximately 674 podcasts or somewhere along that line, or <laughs> it's, it seems like I know, I mean, I know, in all, all kidding aside, you know, you've been doing this a long time when your main show's name is the, the paranormal podcast. I well, mean, there's a funny story behind that is, um, and I think, you know, I, I you might ask, you, you mentioned before we started recording here, you're going to ask me about some keys to success. And one of them is just kind of blind luck. Um, since I was first, one of the first, not the first, but certainly one of the first. And maybe, I don't know if there's anybody who is still doing it that's been doing it as long as I have in terms of podcasting. Certainly there have been radio shows that have been on for decades like Coast to Coast. But in terms of podcasting, I think I've stuck with it pretty much longer than anybody in the in the paranormal realm. And when I started, I'm like, well, what am I going to call this? Uh, well, it'll be about the paranormal and, uh, well, it's a podcast and paranormal podcast. It's like, well, paranormal podcast, but I'm sure somebody's got that already, and nobody did. And uh, I said, okay, well, nobody else took it. I'm going to take it. And I think that's been a big key to success just because if you search for paranormal podcast, who comes up? Uh, number one. And so that's kind of been a little bit of uh, luck and just starting really early. And that's some, yeah, I'll be honest with you, Jerry. If I started today, I don't know if I could do what I did over again, because a lot of the advantage that I had was that I was early. And I think I've always tried to strive to bring a certain quality to all this. So I think the combination, because, you know, um, people now you've got such great access to great equipment and a lot of big companies coming in and all of this stuff. But back then it was just, you know, people uh, doing kind of the DIY thing and, and God bless them. And there were some great shows that continue to this day. Uh, but I think trying to focus on quality early on, even though I didn't have the best equipment, uh, I think it and the name, it, it just kind of helped me along a little bit. What was your background before you got into podcasting? Did you have a radio background? Well, here's the funny thing. Um, uh, this was 2005. I was in my mid-30s, and I'd gone to school for broadcasting and had every intention to start working out of college in the early 90s uh, behind the mic or in front of the camera. I was actually more of a TV person. Uh, it was what I studied in school. But then I ended up working in sales, in radio, in advertising, and it was kind of fun. You got to write copy and things. and But then I looked up. It was 2005. I had a mortgage, two small children, uh, married. Um, and it's not like I could just quit my uh, job with benefits and all of that and say, you know, I I really want to be behind the mic. 
It just was not plausible. I heard about this thing called podcasting. I said, you know, I might not be able to do it professionally, but damn it. You know, excuse my language. I um, I went to school for this and I want some kind of outlet for it. And I did have some knowledge of how to structure things and so forth from working in, in radio for at that point to the better part of 12 years. So, I mean, I had some background, but that was really the most that I did behind the mic or has been with podcasting by far. So I kind of learned on the job and, and that's how I did it. So I did have more of a background than most people, I would say, but it wasn't like I hosted a radio show for 10 or 20 years. Now, we did talk about, you know, I made the joke about having, you know, so many podcasts, but you actually are the host of, of, of a few out there. And I mean, you've got your you've got your your main one with the paranormal podcast and you've got the other one, uh, which is Campfire, which I had the, the privilege of being on. And I want while we talk about that real quick, we've had a bunch of listeners come to our show and say that they heard us on Campfire and they enjoy our, enjoy our show. I want to personally thank you for that. And I want to thank all of your listeners who gave us an opportunity. I want to thank them as well. So I appreciate Appreciate that, Jim. Oh, I'm glad to do it. And I think that's part of the – and I think sometimes in podcasting that's lost these days. Uh, I think early on the community tried to help each other a lot more and one person would be on another person's podcast. And you know, with it becoming corporatized and maybe independent producers taking a backseat to some of these big companies, I think some of that's lost. So if we can bring a little of that back and share the wealth, I'm glad to do it. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, some people found out about the show and, uh, and hopefully by me being on your show, some people will find out about Campfire specifically because I think that will interest them. And uh, it's just kind of a virtuous circle. So let's talk about Campfire. For for those of you who haven't, uh, who aren't completely familiar with the two shows, Paranormal Podcast is more uh, obviously with you having a guest on. A lot of times, a uh, an author or or uh, maybe the host of uh, some of the paranormal shows, and, and you pretty much letting them take the reign. To where Campfire is more of uh, talking to individuals, mainly listeners, about their specific ghost stories. What made you start Campfire? Well, I just thought it would be kind of fun to do a special episode of the Paranormal Podcast where people called in and shared their stories. And so it was originally just an idea for one episode, and it was very well received. And I'm like, you know what? This is a separate podcast. This is a totally different podcast. I started that in 2009. And even though the numbers are very comparable, sometimes uh, Paranormal Podcast will get more downloads than Campfire and vice versa. And it kind of goes back and forth depending on the month. Uh, I got to say the show that resonates and touches people the most I think is Campfire because basically what it is – is uh, a place where people can come. There's no judgment. Uh, you know, I'm not like, uh, I don't believe that's what happened. You know, it's not this confrontational style. It's just, hey, uh, Jerry, I know you had a, a, an experience uh, concerning your mom and some interesting visitors. Tell us what happened, which is exactly what your story was. And I just let you tell the story, and I'll have a question here or there, uh, but not uh, not in a challenging style. And it I thought at first it would just be a lot of fun. You know, this is just going to be fun to do. It's like an electronic campfire. That's why we call it campfire. And uh, lo and behold, I, I think it was really the spark that made it possible to do the Plus Club and do the books and go full time uh, in uh, in 2012. Um, I, I think campfire was the spark for all of that. And uh, it's been uh, it's been fantastic. And people love that show because they know they can come on. Uh, it's a safe place. We're not going to judge them. And I've had people come on and say they've seen leprechauns, uh, UFOs of a different type, a Bigfoot type creature. So it is ghost stories, but it is more than just ghost stories. Anything supernatural or even just kind of weird things um, like uh, what I call head scratchers, doppelgangers, uh, uh, shadow people. Uh, so if people like those kind of stories, they can find it wherever they're listening to your podcast. Uh, it's Jim Harold's Campfire, and uh, and the most recent uh, uh, 90 days are absolutely free and will remain that way. So you can listen for absolutely free, and each show is about an hour. And uh, 
people people love it. Talk a little bit about your Plus Club because I know for people who join that, you've actually got some other uh, podcasts and there's some true crime stuff and some and some uh, other things that you put out. Uh, tell a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I want to say if you've never heard of my shows or me, just focus on the free stuff first. I never want to lead with, hey, you want to buy something? <laughs> I, I've got plenty of free content you can listen to. And then if you like, say, I really like this stuff, then you can check out the Plus Club. But basically, the Plus Club, uh, after 90 days, an episode to the Paranormal Podcast or Campfire goes into the archive. Um, so if you want to listen to the back catalog going back to 2005, you, you have to be a part of Plus Club to get those older episodes. Um, and uh, But in addition, I do some separate shows that are only uh, in the Plus Club. So if you sign up to Plus Club, there's access to about, I think, about 1,400 episodes you can't get on the free feed. And that includes a show called UFO Encounters. I have one called Conspiracy Corner. Uh, I have one called Ghost Insight. I have one called The Cryptid Report, another one called Ancient Mysteries on the Air, and then Crime Scene, the archive for that, although Crime Scene is now now, the most recent episodes of that are also free. So you can find Jim Harold's crime scene for free, uh, the most recent episodes of that one as well. So the idea is that if you really like what we're doing and you listen to the free shows, and I recommend everybody check out those free shows first, then you can say, I want more. You can go over to the, the Plus Club and, and sign up uh, for that at jimherald.net. But I always direct people to jimherald.com and the major directories for the free content and, and start with all of that. Now, with all that being said, uh, I heard you one time speaking to a, a guest, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was. But I know you said that you've had a, a little bit of change maybe in your thought process from the time you've started this on what some different aspects of paranormal were from Bigfoot to UFOs to poltergeist to, uh, you know, whatever the case would be. And now you've been doing this thing for 10 years. How has your opinion changed about the paranormal from when you started to now? I'm absolutely convinced that there is something to the paranormal more, even more. And I was pretty convinced before, but even more so. And I'm absolutely certain there's something to it. I've had too many people from too many different walks of life say, Jim, you know, there, uh, this happened to me. And my favorite stories, Jerry, are not necessarily – and I don't mean to cast aspersions, but someone that says I talk to the aliens at 10 a.m. on every Thursday. Um, I like the stories where somebody says, you know, Jim, uh, this stuff has only happened to me once or twice in my life. Let me tell you the story. Maybe somebody's a police officer, a military officer, uh, you know, uh, just a, a working class Joe uh, who's just had something – happened to them unusual so not necessarily someone plugged into the new age not to knock new age folks i mean we do interviews with that on our, our plus club show for the other side podcast which i didn't mention is another plus club one but those stories have convinced me over the years absolutely there is something to this now what I will say is that there's no way that absolutely everybody can be right uh, I interview a lot of authors and on the Paranormal Podcast and my Plus Club shows. And they have a lot of different theories. And everybody can't be right. So I think that in some ways, particularly not individuals so much, because I take people at their word, and I'll be honest with you, the campfire people that call in, they're sincere. Very rarely have I felt that somebody's pulling my leg. But when it comes to authors saying, uh, I have this theory, and this explains UFOs, or this explains ghosts, I'm actually a little more skeptical of those individual authors maybe than I would have been at the beginning because, again, everybody – you know, you interview 20 different people. You have 20 different uh, theories on UFOs, for example. They can't all be right. So I might be more skeptical in those cases, but overall I'm more convinced. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's that's kind of how it's evolved for me. And it's so funny because I was just interviewing somebody yesterday. I can't recall who it is because – <laughs> you know, when I'm interviewing, I, I do maybe five interviews a day. But he said exactly the same thing, that over time, he's become more skeptical about specific cases, but more convinced in general that there is something going on. So I don't know if that answers your question or makes any sense, but that's kind of how it's changed for me. No, it it, it completely does. I know, um, you know, I, I, I feel the exact, exact same way you do when I listen to a show that's interviewing an author. 
like you said, there's so many different takes on the same subject. Sometimes I'll listen and think, yeah, I just, I just can't buy that. And other times I think, well, man, that really makes sense. Uh, but I, right. I rarely do that with listener stories. I, I do feel like that a listener, they, most cases, they're very sincere. And even if that wasn't what exactly happened, they believe that's what happened. And it comes across that way. And I will say this, this is not to disrespect the authors. Uh, it's just to say that everybody can't be right. And the thing is, I view my role, uh, whether it's on Campfire, the Paranormal Podcast, or the Plus shows, I think people get confused about this. My job is not to present someone, and by presenting them, I'm not necessarily saying, hey, they're right. No. What I'm saying is this person has a viewpoint, a story, uh, a, a theory. Uh, I think it's interesting. Not saying I agree with it. Not saying I'm disagreeing. I am presenting it to you. You're a smart person. You're li- Obviously, you're smart. You're listening to my show. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're smart enough to figure it out for yourself if this person is right or wrong. And and somebody can be genuine and sincere and be wrong too. That's important to remember. And not, you know, just because you um uh just because you're wrong doesn't mean you're a fraud. Uh and <laughs> you could just be wrong. Yeah. I trust me, I got a lot of experience with that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Jim, because this is something that it's a it's a complete switch gears. But I noticed on on uh, on a paranormal podcast, you guys are talking about a cruise, uh, a cruise that you're promoting. It's a, some kind of a mystery cruise or something. Tell me a little bit how something like that gets started. Is that something you get approached with? Is that something that you had a hand in creating? Well, uh, actually, what happened was is that uh, that you can find the information at mysteriescruise.com. It's going to be myself, Micah Hanks, and. Uh, and Micah is great and one of the most knowledgeable people in the area of the paranormal and she really uh, covers a wide range of things, co-wrote a book with George Norrie, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and that will be in November. If you want to check out the info, that's at mysteriescruise.com. Basically what happened is uh, Mike Migliori over at Holiday Maker Travel, he had advertised on the podcast in the past and he just called me up one day and said we'd like to do a paranormal cruise. We think you'd be a great fit. And then we uh, talked through it and came up with some ideas of how we do it. And uh, there you have it. So that that's kind of how that worked. But I'm excited about it because I love – and I don't get a chance to do it. But I, I love being at conferences and so forth where I can get to meet the people that listen. One, it's just fun from the sense of uh, – you know, you get to meet new people and, and so forth. You get to exchange ideas. And I also love the idea – you know what it's like, Jerry. I mean, I know you're newer to this, but sometimes you wonder, is anybody really listening? And even though you get great and supportive emails and see people sign up to the Plus Club and buy your books, it's still kind of solitary. So the idea of getting together with people who are of like mind, interested in these subjects, truly interested, um, it's just great. And it kind of gives you power to keep going because you're like, somebody is out there listening. Uh, so it's kind of good from the social aspect because, uh, it's a pretty solitary existence doing these, uh, doing these podcasts. Uh, you're just looking at a computer screen and, and editing and, and doing interviews. So it's nice to actually get out and, and meet some humans. And plus I just, um, it's nice because the kind of subjects we talk about are kind of ridiculed uh, in the general populace sometimes. You know, if you uh, you go into your local coffee shop or bar or something and start talking about ghosts, yeah, some people say, yeah, that's happened to me. And then other people be like, ah. But the nice thing is, is you don't have to guess when you're at one of these events, whether it's on land or on sea. You know that people are interested just like you are. You know you're not going to be judged, and you can talk freely about these topics that interest us. And I, I got to say this, and, and people might not think this, but I'm really interested in this stuff. And even though it is a business for me these days, I'm still just as interested in it. In fact, I'll find myself looking up this kind of stuff when I'm on my off hours. And it has nothing to do with a show coming up. And it's like I, I say, well, why are you looking this stuff up? It's your off hours. And it's like, well, wait a minute. It just proves you're really interested. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hope people can check out mysteriescruise.com. It will be a lot of fun. I, I would be – you know, dismissed if I if I didn't ask this question because I know this is what all my listeners really want to know. If they went on this cruise, at some point in time, would they see Jim Harold in a speedo bikini? Believe me, that would be the biggest deterrent 
of people coming that I could possibly think of. And no, they would not. (laughs) (laughs) I think they'd be, I think it'd be, that would be spookier than a full body apparition. Jim, I I greatly appreciate you coming on. I know you got a thousand things going on in life and I appreciate you taking the time and and, and helping out fellow podcasters. Uh, We try to do the same thing ourselves. We try to uh, bring on podcasters that are, have a few less, less listeners than us and try to help boost them and, and when we get people like you help us, it just uh, helps us to keep that mentality. So we greatly appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you just doing what you do because you have been a, a huge inspiration for us to start a podcast. And I know many others out there. Oh, I, I really appreciate it very much. It's always great to connect with people and make new friends in, in podcasting and also in paranormal studies. And uh, again, it was a lot of fun. Now, Jim, let me ask you this. How can these people... Uh, get a hold of all of your different products that you got going out there. What's the best way for them to be able to reach you? Uh, th- three things. You can check out all my podcasts on all the major directories or apps that you listen to. Number two, if people want to get uh, a regular uh, couple of stories in their inbox, they can sign up for my email newsletter at inboxcampfire.com. That's inboxcampfire.com. And then finally, they can check out my virtual campfire book on Facebook. Just look for Jim Harold's H-A-R-O-L-D, Jim Harold's virtual campfire. We have about 11,000 people in that group, and uh, we share stories all week long. Thank you so much, sir, and uh, we'll see you around.